Did you know the ideal size is between five and nine? Good chemistry makes it less effective. A good bond releases oxytocin. The most effective ones don't have a leader. Small ones outperform solos. Men are insecure when in the minority. Mixed age outperform youth and virtually is overrated. Hey guys, this is Wood and Ash. Welcome to Mental Policing. Hey guys, like I said, this is Wood and Ash, and this is Mental Policing. Hello. Um, I hope, and I will bet that with that intro, I have your attention. Good, because this week we're going to talk about something we are all a part of at some point in our lives, big or small. <laughs> this week we're going to try and talk about teams, and not sports teams, Yes, I know it's NFL season and the NBA is starting up, but they, we get enough of that on the TV. <laughs> but we're going to talk about work teams and family or home teams. If you do a Google search for relationship teams, it suggests that a relationship is the ultimate team sport. Not only do we bring different things to the table and should be working side by side to accomplish whatever it is we set out to accomplish, but it's coming together as equals and doing things that alone we couldn't do. In our day-to-day at work, we are part of a team. That might be our shift crew, your squad, your pals, however you label it. But you're a team. And you set out to do work each day, and you have each other's back, and you go home at the end of the night. That's the ultimate goal. The beauty of that team is that you can all bring something to the table. Everyone has unique gifts and talents, And this is what makes you a strong team. As I mentioned in the list I gave at the beginning, if there's too much chemistry on the team, it's less effective. Very interesting. I thought that was very interesting. And why is that? Well, um, because you'd rather spend the time talking and chit-chatting. For example, uh, the example that first comes to mind for me is like your buddy or your friends in high school. When you all get together, what do you actually accomplish? Well, probably mm, nothing. Very little. Because you, what do you do? You sit around, you play, you talk, you have a good time. And having a good time and talking doesn't really get you anywhere. You're a team, but you're a, t- you're a team of chit-chatters. <laughs> so when you're at work, if your team is too um, cohesive or you get along too well then nothing really gets done. In fact, this can be seen as being a lazy team, a lazy officer, a lazy person, or shirking work because you just want to BS or you want to waste time on calls. So 
it, it too much cohesiveness can be actually a negative. That being said, we must have some cohesion because if we didn't, nobody would want to work together. Yeah, tasks will get done, a job will get completed, but it will be miserable. Sounds miserable. Everybody will just come in, do their thing, and leave. No discussion, no discussion, no talk. No it, bonding. It, no bonding, and it's not a healthy environment either. There's too much negativity. Another part of the intro that is interesting is that effective teams don't have a designated leader. They don't have that one person that just pushes and pushes and pushes to get things done. They work as a team. That's why it's called a team. At work, we all have supervisors. And my belief is that a supervisor is there to support you. They help you, and they help you succeed. A supervisor that micromanages, belittles, or joins in on gossip about another person is not a supervisor at all. They want to be a ruler. They want to have control over everything and make sure you do what they say and keep you under their thumb. That's not a supervisor. That's a terrible situation. Remember this. A bad supervisor can take a good staff and destroy it, causing the best employees to flee and the remainder to lose all motivation. But a good boss makes his men realize they have more ability than they think they have, so they consistently do better work than they thought they could. So take pride in, but be careful with the keys and the tools you're given with those on your team, whether you be a supervisor or you be another person on that team. Remember, you have some um, form of power, rather, or say in that team, and you can uh, use that for good or for bad. But this is all good and dandy at work. Most of us understand this. Most of us know this. Uh, We navigate that day to day. But what about at home? How can we be a team at home? And how can we be a better team at home? Marriage and relationships are all about becoming a team. Uh, Teamwork is a critical ingredient in making a relationship happy and successful. Most of us would agree that we want to send a message to our partners that we're on their sides. And what better way than to be a team in that way? Uh, Not wanting your spouse to compromise on their interests just because you're doing something else can send a message that you want each other to be happy and are willing to work together to find a way to do so. However, don't don't become separate. Don't do don't do the things that you like to do separately. Yes. Um, find a find a hobby or hobbies or commonalities that you could do together, like um, recording a podcast. Mm. You yes. could do that together. Hello. <laughs> It might take some convincing um, <laughs> to st- show that it's actually a good time. And stepping out of comfort zones, but it actually is a good time. It's, it, it's been very beneficial. It helps bond. Yes. Um, but have your hobbies, but don't allow your hobbies to become just your hobbies without any kind of um, interaction or, or influence. So, like, let's say that I like to golf and you hate golf. And you, one thing you do like to do is horseback ride, and I cannot do that. And I'll um, kill him. <laughs> He's definitely allergic. Unless you want me to die, then let's go horseback riding. <laughs> no. Okay, but 
so I go golfing every Monday. You go horseback riding every Tuesday. Uh, every Wednesday we podcast. And then Thursday I golf again. Friday you horseback ride and so on and so forth. This goes on and on and on. And we create that separation. These are my days to do my thing. You go do your thing. And there's no uh, overlap. There's no... Um, Coming together to bond. Right. I can support you in your wanting to go and do that, though I can't do it. But it doesn't mean I can't support you in it. But at the same time, you have to allow me to be a part of that. Well, maybe I can go and if you are in a show, maybe I can go to that show and support you in it rather than you just go do it and me never know. Or maybe I, you know, need someone to drive the golf cart for me. So <laughs> just show up and drive the golf cart around. I can do that. But be supportive of each other in your uh, hobbies, but don't isolate the other from that hobby. All that does is drive a wedge. It doesn't build any kind of bond. No. Another experience or another another thing you can do is have new experiences together. That also bonds you. Uh, you new traveling. Right. Uh, travel to new places. Go hiking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't do have rock climbing. Yes. Um, Something new together. Mm-hmm. Um, step out of your comfort zone and, and, and build that bond. Um, it's easy to be a team at work because um, the, the fellas, um, they have your back. We might even be in life or death situations and rely on somebody else to save us, and that builds an incredible bond. But we should strive for a bond like that in our own homes. The stronger we are at home, the better we, we will be in the workplace. And I firmly believe that. The more we communicate with our partners, the more open and honest we are, um, the better the relationship will be. This is hard. <clears throat> this is hard to um, always be open and honest like that, especially if it's something we're not used to. If we strive for this at home, though, this behavior will carry to all aspects of our lives. This is this I find interesting is that we aren't we aren't afraid to call out a suspect or an arrestee at work. For example, we'll sit across from a murderer and tell them, you know, uh, we know you're lying. I know you're lying. I know you did it. Tell me the truth. Or or there's that pedophile like, oh, I know you did this, this, and this. Tell me what else you did. And we're not afraid to do that. We're not afraid to have that confrontation. But when we get home. We clam up and we don't say anything. We don't talk about issues. We bury them. We bury our thoughts. We bury our feelings. And it's hard to be vulnerable. Very hard. And it, and it creates separation. It creates distance in our home life. Um, and why do we do that? Like why, why can we sit across from somebody that's the scourge of the earth and be open and honest with them, yet we get home with somebody that should know all of our deepest, darkest secrets and fears and see us in our most raw form, yet we can't say anything to them? Mm, you said it exactly in that sentence, fear. Fear, vulnerability. It's scary. It uh, is. And one of our viewers made mm -hmm. a comment about that too. Amy said the same thing, fear. Right, that it's fear. And um, I compare it to uh, the example I use is um, my children. So one of my youngest sons, we went to the uh, roller coaster park and 
and until they sponsor me, I'm not going to say the name of it. But uh, <laughs> we went there, and he was afraid to go on one of the big roller coasters that goes upside down. So I talked to him. I, I kept, um, I guess, peer pressuring him, but I kept encouraging him that he could do it, that the fear would go away, that if he would just do it and trust me. So we get to the front of the line. Eventually, he goes on it. He was terrified. He was scared. He kept his eyes closed. He was shaking a little bit. But he went on it, and he had a he had a fantastic time. He had a great time, loved it. We did it again. Then we go to the next scary roller coaster, and we kind of go through the same initial process. And I talk to him and I encourage him, but this time he was more willing to trust me that I I made sense because he had experienced that fear and overcame it. And so on the next one, it wasn't so bad. And he had fun, and we did it. And now it's not an issue. Now he relies on me for my experience a lot of time to overcome a fear. Well, it's not that much different in a relationship. Once we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, once we allow ourselves to trust the other person, we jump in, we ride that roller coaster, and we realize, you know, that's not so bad. Or maybe it was bad, but now the next time the roller coaster shows up, we're willing to get on there because we know at the end of it will come out okay. So we have to conquer that fear. We have to step up to that fear and remember that that partner of ours is waiting for us to do just that. And when I say us, I'm speaking mostly from my perspective as law enforcement. I have to allow myself to be vulnerable in order to um, get that trust and build that bond back. And as spouses communication you say something try to get them to open up yes yes um and it's very it's very somebody has to take the first step yes as scary as it is and it's very helpful so allow yourself to feel allow yourself to cry if you must but stop wasting the best part of your life by keeping somebody out of it allow them in do you have anything else on that? Mm-mm. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up with this then. The healthiest relationships are those where you're a team, where you protect each other, and you stand up for one another. And with that, guys, this is Wood. And Ash. And this is Mental Policing. We will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.